We all want to feel safe, but most of us don't. We don't feel safe because of what happened when we were little or as we got older, because of responsibilities and competition and never quite feeling like we belong, which makes us anxious. When Liz Tran was little, she didn't feel safe. There was divorce and school and trauma. Liz struggled with anxiety, panic attacks, fear of leaving the house, depression. But art was where Liz felt safe. Liz says, Art was my safe space where I could have control over everything. It was creating my own little world that was not as scary as the actual world. It's not uncommon to hear people describe art as a refuge. Art is something we can disappear into. It catches us without judgment, demands, or expectations. It lets us be who we are as we are. Despite Liz's crippling anxiety, art gave her freedom. Today, her art is about extroversion, experimentation, and play. Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard plays a guitar that Liz painted. Her work is in exhibits from Toronto to Miami, San Francisco to Iceland. Her paintings adorn gallery walls, museums, and the homes of private collectors. Liz has created success, not just financial success, but freedom to make what she wants, live as she pleases, and to find safety whenever she needs it. Hi, I'm Daphne Cohn, and you're listening to the Creativity Habit Podcast, the practice behind the art, the story behind the artist. Today's guest is painter, sculptor, and installation artist, Liz Tran. In this conversation, we talk about anxiety, mental illness, and art, how to get unstuck when you're stuck, being a woman in a man's art world, and advice for starting an art career. May it inspire you to make your thing and change your world. Hello, Liz. Welcome to the Creativity Habit Podcast. Hello. So I ask a similar question at the beginning of each interview. And one of the things that you said, which ties into that question is, you said, I've always identified as an artist from an early age. So I'm curious, typically what I ask is, how did creativity show up for you as a little girl? But I'm wondering what if you have like a first memory of that, identifying as an artist, what you remember about that? I think it would be winning the, the coloring contest at the supermarket. <laughs> uh, what, um, what was the coloring contest? I don't even remember what it was, but it was basically, you know, like, uh, like a coloring book type thing. And our local, I think it was the Safeway, they would put up all of the, all of the entries and hang them in the store. And I remember feeling so proud (laughs) that my image was up there and I ended up winning, I don't know, maybe it's like $5 gift certificate to Safeway. (laughs) I think I blew it all on candy. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's one of my earliest memories. How old were you? Gosh, I should ask my mom, but I, I want to say like, four or five. I mean, I was young, super young. I think they had entries for different age groups. And that's interesting that your first memory was winning a coloring book contest because I, that was actually one of the the other things I wanted to ask you specifically about your childhood, because as an artist now, one of the things that drew me initially to you is all the color Mm -hmm. that you use. It's so 
vibrant and then it's the color and then it's the different mediums and the different types of art that you create and we're going to get into all of that but like is there a connection between the color all that vibrant color that you use and your childhood i'm sure there is i am always trying to get back to that place of childhood and just experimenting and working intuitively that that freedom that that energy that childlike energy i'm always trying to pull that out and also i come from a really hippie town eugene oregon and there was a lot of tie-dye <laughs> and it was all over the place so it was very like grateful dead um, i remember the sunday market you could get you know tie-dye underwear tie-dye t-shirts <laughs> whatever you want so i tried to deny my hippie past for a really long time, but now I'm just embracing it. I'm sure that ties in there. When you said, like, you're always trying to pull out that childhood energy or that childlike mm -hmm. energy. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, what do you see as, as that energy? How would you describe that? I'm trying to get rid of the judgment factor and overthinking. Um, and just go with intuition and experiment, experimenting a lot, getting rid of all of the stuff we learn as adults, the judgment. And then how are you going about doing that? Like, what does that look like? Say when you begin a painting or begin an art piece and you notice the judgment come up, is there something specifically that you do right in that moment? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I'm always trying to get into just that flow, I guess I would call it. Um, and when the judgment does come up, I try to distract myself or talk to it, or talk it away. It's kind of like the little devil on my shoulder. I think it's the little devil on everyone's shoulder. There's not an artist that I have talked with that doesn't struggle with that and right. I there's not a person I know that doesn't struggle with that but I think especially with creativity as we're exploring all this okay so you, you're wanting to pull that energy out and does color help you pull that out you know I don't know if color helps me pull that out it's just it's my intuitive palette so I, I suppose it must also like distractions like listening to music and really getting into the music and focusing on that while I'm working as opposed to tearing apart every little piece that I'm doing. Of course, it's always back and forth too, because at some point I need to pull back and um, look at the work and analyze it and see if it's working or not. But color, it, it must, you know, it's, it's, it, and that's very musical for me. I mean, it must, it, it must tie back into my childhood but because my work is so intuitive, I often don't find things like that out until much, much later. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean it's very musical for you? Um, rhythm, especially now with my most recent body of work, I'm really trying to create this, um, this rhythm within the work. And the color moves the eye around. I've been ex experimenting a lot with you know, fluorescent colors, trying to create this breathing, living painting which to some extent I know is impossible, but I like chasing after things that are either really difficult or impossible. Has that always been true for you, that kind of chasing after what feels either impossible or just really difficult? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I get bored easily. 
and I definitely appreciate challenges. Do you have a, f- a first memory of going after something that was supposedly impossible and then you did it? Well, <laughs> I remember as a teenager, I knew that I wanted to be an artist. And to a lot of people, that does seem like an impossible goal. People tend to be fairly discouraging. And my dad was really encouraging me to focus on accounting. (laughs) (laughs) So I think part of the reason why I read art. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, that's, I think that's the only class that ever made me cry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because I hated it so much. And my mom was always really encouraging, but other people in my life were like, that's not a realistic goal. People don't do that. I grew up in a small town with uh, like virtually no art galleries, uh, very few professional artists. It just wasn't a thing. So it seemed like it was impossible, but I have this tendency to do the opposite of what people want, (laughs) especially when I was younger. So it really made me focus more like, the fact that he wanted me to do the counting made me focus more on art, just kind of as a fuck you. So you took the accounting class like as a way of appeasing his, his. Yeah, I think it was actually the only college level course. So I dropped out of high school when I was 15, I think, and took community college courses in exchange for a high school degree. And I believe that was the only one that he paid for. Too. I had to pay for the rest of them. So I did take the class. So at the time for you, though, the fact that your father wanted you to be an accountant, that your mother discouraged you from it, because like you said, it's a small town, not a lot of examples, and everyone has the starving artist myth anyway. Um, yeah. Like if anything, like you say, if anything, it just pushed you further into art. And how did mm-hmm. your parents respond to that? Or did you even care about how they responded to that? I didn't really care. I mean, I moved out of the house when I was 17 and was working full-time and going to school full-time. And I didn't even have time to really care. (laughs) Honestly, it was just like survival. But my mom was always very encouraging and I really did appreciate her support. Yeah. And my dad was encouraging to a certain extent. So he had kind of tried to be an artist. He's, He's extremely talented, but he hadn't really worked through. He's an amazing watercolor artist, and it was one of those things where he really focused on it a lot in college, but I think he didn't have the confidence or the work ethic to really follow through with it, which probably is partially why he didn't think it was feasible for me. That's an interesting thing, what you just said, that he didn't have, or and I know you're just speculating, so should he be listening? This is not an analysis. Dad, I love you. He he didn't, I mean, he he was encouraging of art. He was encouraging of, of me being a creative, but he was also trying to be realistic at the same time. Yeah. And this is totally not an interview that's like, let's, let's analyze your parents. Right. Right. I tend to go there way too often, but yeah. Well, but what's fascinating is you said in reference to him, but really just period in reference to people, like you said, not having the confidence and the work ethic to make it happen. And the reason that stands out for me is I think, oh, as an artist, there's there's plenty of people with talent. Do you feel that those two things are really big factors between like those who make it and those who don't? That's really complicated because 
I mean, putting in the time and also just believing in yourself. I mean, you have to be somewhat confident in yourself to even show up to the studio every day. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. One of the reasons I'm asking is I've had the chance to interview so many people who are successful and they're great artists and makers and creative people. And there's so many people out there that are also great artists and makers and creative people who are wanting to be successful mm -hmm. and are not. And I know it's a complicated question because there's a lot of different reasons why. Right. But I do think there's something to be said for those two things, the work ethic and, and the confidence, that those are important pieces in success as an artist. Definitely, definitely. And I also think it helps out if you're privileged and have yeah. the connections. And I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but... Um, well, yeah. let's speak to that for a minute because I think that's an important part of the conversation too. D do you feel that you had that? Um, I felt I had it to a certain extent in that um, I actually saw my dad making watercolor paintings and I was exposed at least somewhat to art. Like there was a little art museum at the university and my parents would take me to that. And also I had art courses outside of school. So I feel very fortunate in that aspect. So I, I, I did have some privilege for sure. But then again, as we were pretty poor growing up. My mom did what she could as far as getting us into outside of school classes and stuff like that. Let us follow our interests, but we could only go so far. When you say you were pretty poor, was that kind of just a product of living in Eugene at that time? Was it, is that fairly normal for being someone who lived there or was that more particular to your family? It was also during the 80s when there was the recession, we lost our house and my parents split up. Then my mom was kind of a single mom. I mean, she got child support, but not much. And I have memories of trying to find money for the grocery store to get milk. And my mom was telling me that we would run out of fuel for our furnace in the wintertime. And my dad would go and fill up just a little bit at a time. And so it was... Have a yeah, that's pretty poor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then again, I was never starving. I never went hungry. And we always had a roof over our heads. How old were you when the, your parents lost the house and got divorced? And was that all in the mm. same year? I was pretty young. I must have been like five or so. And during all of this change and just the different things that you're going through, you're making art at the during this time? Yeah, I mean, I always did. It was just it was always my outlet. I also had some really difficult times. Some difficult traumas happened when I was younger. Now looking back on it, I realized that it was, it was basically my therapy and how I got through things. You don't have to speak to specific trauma if you don't want to. It's up to uh -huh. you if you do or if you don't. But I'm curious, with the trauma, how did you use art? Like how, as a child, how did you turn to art? Well, as a kid, I never consciously made the connection between the trauma and making art. But looking back on it, I still have this very similar attitude towards it. It was kind of my my safe space where I could have control over everything. That's weird. I've never said that before. But yeah, it was my safe space. It was, it, And it was also creating my own little world that was not as scary as the actual world. 
So was it a world of drawings and paintings? Like what kind of art were you doing? Yeah, yeah, mostly drawings and paintings. Yeah, I was always doodling. I'd get in trouble for doodling in class. It was my meditation, my safe space. So do you think that is part of what contributed to this sense of you always identifying as an artist? Just that the art was like, it was always there for you. Yeah, and I needed it. I needed it in order to function. This might seem like a bit of a random question, but I'm just curious because like your parents were encouraging to a, to a degree around you being an artist. Did you ever think that if you didn't pursue art, you would be in some ways like giving up on the thing that's there for you? I mean, did you frame it in that way at all? Was there a relationship that you had with art that felt important to maintain? Yeah, I mean, even now I can't go more than mm, a week or two without creating something. I become incredibly depressed and it's my identity. It's who I am. It's always needs to be there. Say you're starting to feel depressed and then you go make art. That Does that lift it? Typically it lifts it or at least puts me on even ground, but I do have bad art days too. <laughs> I just want to clarify that. It doesn't always make me giddy. Um, you know, sometimes I want to smash the painting and I do burn paintings and stuff. They're not working. So it's going back to your childhood for a little bit. Like the, the first time you exhibited your artwork was at the University of Oregon Museum. You were 15. How, mm-hmm. how did that happen? How did you get art into their museum? I had this art instructor in high school. And this was kind of around the time where I was starting to go astray. And I just didn't want to be in that school anymore. So I dropped out long after. Uh, But she was incredibly encouraging. And I believe she arranged the whole thing. So it was a show of of the high school art class I was in. And I did this painting um, depicting community. That was the theme of the exhibition. And it was showed people inside the community, outside of the community. And, And she was just incredibly encouraging. There were times when my anxiety was so bad and I really wasn't doing well mentally. And I would go to the high school art room and she would just lock me in there. So I could just do whatever I wanted, you know, being on the streets or doing drugs or whatever. One of the things that you mentioned just then was you said she would help you when your anxiety got really high, you know, it was a way. Right. And one of the things that you said to me before, like in the pre-interview was you mentioned mental illness and that you're open to talking about it. So mm-hmm. was that part of that showing up for you as a kid was anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. I would love it if you could describe for me a little bit of what that looked like for you and what it looks like in your life. I think most artists, at least most artists I know are empaths of varying degrees and just even dealing with the world in general can sometimes be a bit much for us. But when I was a child, and I, I didn't have words to put into it until later on or a diagnosis, but I would get horrible stomach aches and not be able to deal with being in school. Um, it was just too stressful. I would have panic attacks about my parents getting in a car crash and dying, you know, just all of these things. And I didn't 
realize until I was an adult that that I've had anxiety, you know, disorders since I was born, basically. And there is a long line of it, uh, actually, on both sides of my family. So I did get hit with it genetically pretty hard. And that played a huge part in dropping out of school. I have never felt comfortable around a lot of people either. It was just too overwhelming. And I was in therapy from a really young age and I started medication as a, I was probably like 14 or so when I started medicating, but really didn't, gosh, how, how do I tie this back to art? Um, you don't have to. Don't yeah, no. yeah. So I, I didn't really understand it, what was going on in my life as a child until I learned what it was like to live with without anxiety or without that crippling anxiety as an adult and then I realized okay this is what was going on and and I felt pretty stunted I, f- I feel like I've lost many many years of my life due to anxiety and I'm not just talking about stress I'm talking about not being comfortable leaving the house feeling like I'm going to die any second panic attacks you know just pretty debilitating stuff but now I'm doing much, much better, thankfully, due to pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. <laughs> largely, and a lot of therapies. So the now therapy, I realize yeah. what's normal That's and huge. not normal. Yeah. And, and, and normal changes. But I, I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the therapy did play a really powerful role for you. Yeah. I mean, especially as of late, I've been in quite a bit of therapy and just kind of digging down and figuring things out. It's been helpful. I think, honestly, the thing that has helped the most has been my medication <laughs> because it's not situa- it's not situational. And that's the thing. I mean, that's why it's important to talk about. It's like, I, like, I don't know how it got to be so such a source of shame that we're like human right. dealing right. with whatever we're dealt with, uh, you know, whatever things were dealt. And then however we deal with that. It's like, that's, that's human. And yet somehow we have this weird idea of what we're supposed to be as humans. Mm-hmm, like we're supposed mm-hmm. to have it figured out and we're supposed to do it right. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and also be perfect too. And I feel like women especially have it extra hard in that aspect. Like we have expectations to be perfect. Also being a woman in the art world, which is so far behind other industries, we're supposed to be perfect. And that's, that's why I like to talk about things like mental illness, because it's important to put it out there that, that we've struggled and it's okay to not be perfect and we can still be successful. Okay, I, I want to get into the women in the art world <laughs> first. As you have gone to therapy and gone deeper with things, have you seen it change your art? Yes, it has. In fact, yeah, almost immediately I started doing some really intensive therapy and I um I actually cut alcohol and all drugs out of my life other than my meds I'm taking for my brain. So I also just kind of cleared my mind and then started digging a little deeper. Yeah, it almost immediately affected my work. In fact, I am doing a body of work right now that is all based kind of on the therapy that I've been doing. So I'm calling it my heart map series and I'm tracking my heart rate during different activities on a Apple Watch. 
so I'm recording my heart rate during like when I'm relaxed, when I'm stressed, different activities, and then doing paintings based on those and also um, recording my feelings during that like five minute period, just checking in with myself basically and pausing, checking in with myself, which is something that I've been doing a lot more of lately. So those are turning into paintings. So when you say recording your heart rate and your feelings, are you writing them down in a place and then making a piece based on that? Is it like a recording that's actually playing while you're painting or making whatever piece? I don't know if it's paint, if it's a painting or a sculpture or what it is. They're painting so far. They're just paintings. Okay. But, um, so actually it comes out as a graph and then I put that graph onto my panel and do an actual painting of the graph. And of course it kind of explodes from there because if you've seen my work, it's not precise in any way. So that's how I'm doing it. That is very cool. And how does that feel? What are you thinking about it? It feels great. You know, it's all brand new. I've only completed two paintings so far, but I'm really enjoying it. I, I feel like I'm actually like literally giving a piece of my heart to the world. Does that ease the anxiety as well to, to feel that? Yeah. I mean, even just spending some extra time identifying how I'm feeling and processing that through my work so literally is very Mm -hmm. therapeutic. So that's one way. And that's a very visual way of, of seeing how it's the therapy has affected your art, but like, are there other ways where you are making something and because you've been doing this process, because you've been doing this work, you look at something you made and have some, a a response to it that is different than how you felt about it before, or you see something on the canvas or the, a a piece that you make and say, wow, that's different. I mean, does that happen for you with this process? You mean looking back at past work? I mean, like, Where I'm coming from with the question is, as we get to know ourselves more, as we uncover whatever it is that is wanting to be uncovered or gets uncovered, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then we change the way we are in the world. And one way that that changes is with art, if we're an artist. So in your case, I'm just, I'm really wondering as this information, as you discover these things about yourself, if you're just, if that is changing how you're doing your art in any specific way. I feel like I'm more free than I've ever been in creating my art. And also in a way more selfish, even like, I don't really care (laughs) if other people like it. I mean, it's great if it resonates with others, but Primarily, I'm doing it for my own well-being. And the series before the one that I was just talking about, and it's still in progress, but it's my word diary series is what I call it. And in therapy, you know, we assign our day or our, our current feelings with like three different emotions. And so I'm using that and then also what's going on within the world and coming up with with one solid word per day of that encapsulates all of my feels um, and I'm using that into word diaries and I'd never before done text but it feels quite natural now and I'm open I'm open more to just experimenting and trying new things and not really caring as much about 
the outcome necessarily. It's more about the, the process. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a very evolved space to be. But, <laughs> but seriously, it's mature. But I could look back on it 10 years from now and think it was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. That's like yeah. all part of it. Uh, yeah. Speaking of not caring, though, you said, I don't really care. At this point, you're able to make, make art and say, I don't really care if people like it or not. Is that something that you feel like? Is that um, a place that you've gotten to that you think, okay, that's a, um, I, I can do that because of the success I've achieved? Or does that play into it at all, the not caring? I think it's more of just my mental well-being, not being bogged down by anxiety and worried about what other people think. That's a huge part of it. Also, you know, I don't think of myself as being hugely <laughs> successful. So, I mean, it, this is not something I think about on a daily basis. So, well, I what don't is success feel for you like, like as an artist? You know, I've been thinking about that a lot lately and I've had a lot of conversations around that. And to some extent, success for me is just freedom to do what I want. So, yeah, I guess I am successful in that aspect, you know? Yeah, it's not like meeting financial goals or, um, yeah, it's freedom. So would you say at this point you feel more successful than you have in the past from that sense of freedom? Yeah, definitely. And I'm more comfortable like turning things down or um, approaching people with projects that I want to do. And I feel like I have control over my career and I can turn it into something that I want it to be. For a minute, I want to go to that, like approaching people with projects that you want to do. Are these people like, do you approach people that you just know of but don't have a relationship with and you like what they're doing and you want to work with them? Um, I haven't gotten to that point yet. (laughs) It's more like just networking with people I know and trying new things, challenging myself in that aspect. Touching on something that you said earlier about being a woman in the art world, I'd like to ask about that both in terms of your experience as a woman in the art world and as growing a business as an artist mm-hmm. and woman in the art world? I mean, I've been sexually harassed by gallery owners and like prominent people in the art community and pay is different. God, it, it's been hard for me to put this into words. It's a lot of small microaggressions. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if mm-hmm. you have either experiences or, um, examples to give in part to help other women who are looking at the same thing to know oh I'm not alone like this is this is part of what what it looks like sometimes to a woman in the art world yeah I mean like I said before I've been sexually harassed by men higher up in the art world and that has led me to not really trust men in that industry and I'm work primarily with women and I'm much more comfortable with that because I know it's about the work and not anything else. I've also had comments from my peers basically oh I had had one local artist say to me that he assumed that the reason that I could travel so much was because I had a rich husband <laughs> that was facilitating that for me when in actuality 
I mean, I do have a lovely husband. Unfortunately, he is not rich. Um, <laughs> in fact, I'm the breadwinner right now. Um, but, I, but the reason why I was traveling so much is because I was applying for grants for artist residencies. I was pinching every penny. I had grants for my flights. I was selling work and having studio sales. You know, I, I mean, I, I did it. I mean, I did it just the regular way you do it. Not, you know, it's like I have a fucking career and I worked my ass off. I want respect for that rather than the assumption that I'm using someone else to get to where I am. That was interesting. Oftentimes too, uh, amongst my peers, they will comment if they come to a show or whatever, will comment on my appearance rather than the work. Um, really? That happens all the time. Really? Even like on social media, yeah. Talk to me about like what I'm wearing or, yeah. Wow. Yep. <laughs> and I had, a, I had a friend of mine actually tell me, and I'm going to keep this anonymous, that he was sitting down with some local male painters that are, fairly prominent in Seattle and um, they were talking the conversation topic was basically how women don't paint as well as men wow yeah so there's a lot of that and I feel it I just I I feel it so you just have to like keep at your work and kind of brush that aside and I mean what can you do other than call it out when it happens and also you look at the numbers too women in the creative industries are, you know, making a fraction of what men are. There's no checks and balances either. You know, you're sexually harassed by one of the most prominent gallery owners in the Northwest. Who who do you go to about that? What do you do about that? Do you burn your career? Do you like, yeah. (laughs) What about the fact that like today you don't, well, you do have a lot of work in galleries, but that so many artists like don't have to go through galleries or yeah, you know, like the, that it's getting easier for women in that sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the internet has definitely helped somewhat in leveling the play field so that artists can be more imp- independent and in control of their careers. You don't have to go out there and subject yourself to <laughs> harassment if you don't want to, but Still, it's going to have an impact on every level. I have to like gather my thoughts because there's a part of me that's like, okay, there's the next question. And then there's another part of me that's just like sitting here going, I can't believe this is still happening. I know. I know. And this is all stuff like within the last few years too. The art world isn't a terribly healthy place if we're talking about it as a business. I find that I'm a lot happier when I don't focus on where I fit in the art world and just kind of do my own thing because there's a lot of changes that need to happen. It's going to take some time and, you know, I'd like to help facilitate that, but on a certain level, I need to make my work too. So. Well, and that's a lot of what this podcast is, is about is like getting women's voices, all different women's voices out there to keep encouraging more and more women to say, Hey, I can make my art and there's a place for my, my art, whatever that art is. I mean, I, I don't limit art to painting or sculpture. It can be dance. It can be cooking. It can be writing, 
jewelry design. It can be anything, but um, you can do whatever you want. I mean, make your own career. There's no one way to do it. Right. So on that path, what are a few things that you've learned along the way that you would say to somebody to say, either don't do this or this would be a really good thing to do? <laughs> well, I did have an art professor actually in community college and he said, don't be precious, which I really love that piece of advice. Don't be afraid to fuck up. Don't be afraid to ruin a piece. Just don't be precious about your work. Hold be it free with it. Trust yourself. Don't rely on, on the acceptance of others. Don't worry about whether you're accepted or not while you're in the creative process. It's just it's pointless. <laughs> so if you feel, though, like I can't not think about whether I'm accepted or not because I'm trying to get myself out there and it matters if people like right. what I'm making. Like, What do you do with that? Well, I don't think that's helpful when you're actually making the work you're talking about trying to make a living off of it yeah that's a tough it's always a tough balance it's like you have to compartmentalize it keep it away from from your creative process and then do the business side of things and try to get out there and it's it's weird it's like mind games that makes sense to me though that you have to keep them separate otherwise it's just a hot mess So it's almost like don't be precious with the art in that you don't want to be Mm -hmm. a perfectionist. You want to not be afraid to fuck up, you know, but at the same time, be precious about the process. So keep that separate from what other people think and will it sell and all that other stuff. Correct. Correct. Because that's the most important part. And not everyone will like your work. I mean, it's impossible. There will always be people that really strongly dislike it. People that love it, you know. You can't please them all. Don't take criticism too much to heart. It'll always be there. And rejection, so much rejection. You just have to grow a really thick skin when it comes to that. So you feel like over time you have definitely developed a thicker skin? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just from the rejection, basically, like just from having it happen over and over. Yeah. Yeah. I barely even think about it when I get rejected. I mean, I'm not applying for that much these days, but when I do and get rejected, it's just like, oh, there's another one, whatever. It's part of the process. There's a, a story of, I can't remember his name right now, but he said his son wanted to be successful. And he said, okay, the first thing you need to do is sell door to door because you will get rejected more doing that than <laughs> anything else you can do. And you need to be comfortable with rejection. If, yeah. Yeah. And artists, I know it's a stereotype, but I think it's true. We tend to be a bit more sensitive than a lot of other types of people. And a lot of artists just become crushed with rejection. And I see that happen quite often. And you just can't let it impact you that much. Well, when you were earlier on in your career and it felt more crushing how did you deal with it how would you move through it just keep trying over and over again you know you dust yourself off and just keep doing it and doing it and getting rejected over and over and over again and eventually it's just not a big deal so I want to move into your art because I love I love what you make I love color and I love like there is this sense well okay one thing you say which I think is absolutely true is my paintings speak to extroversion, experimentation, and play. 
Mm-hmm. The color I aim to activate. So first of all, that sense of play and experimentation. Oh my gosh, it's it's so present in in your work. And I'm curious about what you're aiming to activate. And I also really want to get into the process that you have around creating this. So let me ask that first question and then I'll get into the process piece. What is it that you want to activate? Gosh, just the surroundings, the world, uh, my mind, other people's minds, everything basically. (laughs) (laughs) Basically like wake, wake things up. Yeah. Yeah enliven the experience of everyday life. So one of the things that I see in your, like you've been, you do painting, you do these installation pieces that are these wild circles. You have all these different, just a lot of different mediums that you go back and forth between. You explore different media. How do you keep your mind flexible enough to between like to not get boxed in by one Mm -hmm. type of making to me it's all related i mean everything has a basis in painting and color and i'm just finding new forms for myself to translate my paintings into so to me it doesn't feel like a completely different experience it's all it's all related is there a time when you will feel like oh i don't know if i want to try that or no, that doesn't come up for you. No. Okay. I want to try. I, I want to try everything. Okay. Like everything. In fact, I will probably be taking a neon class in January because I want to know how to work with neon lights. And um, yeah, anything I can get my hands on. I get bored really easily. And I've taken a welding course, although that doesn't play a part in my work so much, but I'm curious to how to do it. And well, one thing that you said, Liz, was a big white sheet of paper can often frighten me. So what do you do though in the face of like that blank sheet of paper or when you feel you're just starting something, do you have a specific practice around how you approach a new piece of art? Yeah. Now you know, a big piece of paper doesn't frighten me so much anymore, but just arbitrary mark making and letting my mediums kind of work for themselves a bit. And then I rein it in and, you know, it's push and pull, but kind of messing it up a little bit first. So I can't be precious about it. Yeah. And then do you just dive in? Like where, where do you go? Yeah. yeah, I just dive in and work until I'm not feeling it anymore and I'll work on something else for a while. And one of the things that you mentioned also, same thing in the pre-interview, you said, or you wrote that a lot, I, like I was asking about turning points and you mentioned that the only thing you actually said about the turning points was that they tend to happen during residencies and when you, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that you have a lot of them during those times that, that those are big times for turning points. Can you give an example of one turning point that happened as a result of either residency or travel? Yeah, I mean, going to Iceland actually uh, many years ago for the first time and doing a residency there and having that like vast expanse of open land to work with, that's kind of when I started moving into installation for the first time. I think it's really important for artists to put themselves in situations that are different from their everyday you know, everyday work in their studio, even 
I was in Turkey a few years ago, even there, like I had a kind of the realization that it's actually a good thing to not have all my materials with me and to not have access to all of my materials. And in that way, I have to be more creative, more innovative in how I do my work and push myself. And for that, I ended up, you know, cooking up my wheat, my wheat paste for the first time and using that graffiti type technique of putting posters up. But basically limiting what I'm used to and putting myself in a different surrounding has been really an important part of progressing my work. Do you ever feel like it's stuck where you're like, I know I want to explore more, but it just, it's just, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, of course. It's not all just like free flow, happy free flow. I mean, that's my ideal spot, but of course I get stuck. And, and when I get stuck, I'll do things like gesso panels for a few days or, you know, do my bookkeeping or, you know, just the stuff that I normally put off because I hate it. And that was actually something else that you had said was you had talked about when you're not feeling it, like you'll just do like what you just said, you know, you'll just so paintings, you'll do other things. Yeah. How does that work with deadlines? Like if you're not. (laughs) Well, I just have to be careful with deadlines It make sure that I give myself enough time. And if a deadline is too soon or I feel like I really have to push it, then I will say no. Most exhibitions I have are scheduled like six months or to a year or more in advance. So I have time to just think about it a lot and work in fragments on it. But deadlines, I meet them. I always meet them. I've never not met one. But it can be a struggle sometimes. And now I have, you know, I have things, uh, these quotes from your, from interviews that you've done with other people, and I don't write down in my notes when they're from. So this may or may not be true for you now. It could have been something you said like a month ago, or it could have been something you said four years ago. So (laughs) I'll see if I even remember saying it. So one of the things you said was, not only does my work refer to the human connection, it refers to interconnectedness. In some ways, Mm -hmm. I'm reaching for an accurate portrayal of that universal connection, which is completely impossible, but keeps me challenged. Mm -hmm. Interconnectedness is something to celebrate. We are all in this together. And if it's still true, like one of the things that the reasons this struck me, I'm thinking about the climate today and (laughs) we have a very divided world culture that we're living Mm -hmm. in, at least in the United States. And you definitely see it in Western Europe and other places in the world. How are you speaking to this now in your art, given this current political climate? Well, my text pieces are definitely referencing that. I can't stop painting the word no over and over and over again. (laughs) It's actually, I, I try to post on Instagram at least once once a day and it's definitely like my least popular body of work but I keep doing it yeah so the the word diary series I'm definitely addressing it like one of them was empathy and just I feel like I'm always trying to problem solve how to make a positive difference and I have been using my work to raise money for different organizations it's been interesting I I'm I'm a very political person but my work hasn't been political up until this past year and I'm 
still trying to figure out how, where my work sits with activism. And for right now, it's been raising money for various organizations and also donating imagery to organizations like uh, NARAL. Um, Pro-Choice Washington. I did some invitations for them for their fundraiser. Yeah, so I'm I'm, I'm still figuring figuring that out. How I can make more of a positive impact and contribute in a positive way to our really messed up society right now. It's interesting because you said that that this current body of work is your least popular, at least on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also in person too. Okay, um, I haven't shown it except for you know people have come to the studio and seen it but and yet you keep making it yeah I have to (laughs) it's my therapy yeah I have to yeah it's what comes out so when it comes out and people respond less enthusiastically than they do around your other work does that impact at all your decision to then go on and make another piece with that same energy and coming from that same place or are you just like no this this just has to be made yeah it just has to be made no (laughs) (laughs) i will not stop painting no for quite some time i'm sure and is it possible too that it's just you have a certain audience from the work you've made up until now and maybe some of that is just finding a different audience like i think that's a huge part of it i think that's a huge part of it because what resonates in a lot of people uh, with my work is that it is happy and joyful and I'm sure it takes quite a few people off guard just seeing some negativity in it and is it important to you then to find a different audience for it or is it just I'm going to make these pieces and then move on to whatever's next yeah I mean it's just I'm not even thinking about it that mm-hmm. much. I mean, other than noticing that, okay, well, this isn't terribly popular, but that doesn't have any impact on whether I make it or not. You know, you say it very casually and and it's a big deal. Like that's a big deal that you're able to do that because that's hard. I mean, yeah. It's like, I know for myself, I can make something and then watch the response and I have to sometimes work pretty diligently on myself to to say, no, I'm not going to change that because of this response or I'm going to stay, you know, this is what's true for me, but it's not, it's not easy necessarily. Yeah. I mean, that's where the confidence comes into play too. And just trusting yourself. Um, And a lot of times, you know, maybe it's too soon for people or maybe the timing's off. I mean, who knows? Maybe after you're dead and gone, that'll be your most popular body of work. I mean, you just don't, you can't have control over it. It just. And I think it's also helpful to keep in perspective that what people like is not really at all actually about whether it's quote unquote good or bad. Because so much of what we like is influenced by Mm -hmm. what we're told is good or bad or what, what we see a lot of or what we're taught around it. So we can become really disconnected from our own sense of knowing whether right. we like something or not. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that's actually kind of what the no series of paintings is about because I know growing up as a woman in the society saying no was considered a negative thing and I'm turning it around on itself and owning the word. 
and turning it into a more positive and empowering experience. But some people aren't ready for that, which is fine, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and then do you turn to your husband much for support or is it pretty, a pretty internal experience for you? Occasionally. Yeah. I'll ask him for advice. He's not an artist, which I actually think is a good thing. And he doesn't have a huge arts education either. So I'll have either my husband or my mom look at pieces that I'm really struggling with because they approach it with a view that really isn't jaded at all by the art world. And I really value their opinions. Well, and honestly, that's one of the things I love about interviewing artists is because I know so little about art, really. And (laughs) so it's great because when I ask people questions, I don't understand like a lot of the analysis that people have yeah yeah and a lot of times they're just making that crap up anyways (laughs) yeah does that happen for you like do people look at your paintings and do you feel like oh my gosh that is just so not true that was not my intention at all oh yeah I mean people will read things into my paintings that are you know have nothing to do with me and it's all about their experience which is totally fine I mean that's valid too and just that they're even having a a reaction to it is lovely I I think it's really interesting it's like the Rorschach test you know yes absolutely and I'll just say this brief little aside I, I was at I think it was MoMA in New York and um there was a piece on a painted on a mattress and mm. there's a whole analysis about how this painter was making this statement about, I don't know, poverty or something. I can't remember. And mm-hmm. then they had the artist statement right underneath, which I thought was really cool that they did both. And the artist was like, I just didn't have any money for anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Not a statement at all. <laughs> right, right. And I've also had that happen, like come up in, re- in reviews or write-ups about my work um people reading a lot of things into it that you know it reflects more on them than it does on the artists how like if you could write a review of your of your work like what would you most love for people to point out about your work oh my god I don't even know I hate writing to begin with (laughs) (laughs) I work with images and not uh not words um or just what's most important to you about the work that you make or something that's really important. It doesn't have to be the most important. But. Yeah, I don't do well with the most important. Yeah. But um, that it enlivens yeah. people, that it energizes people. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's hard because it's, it's such a, a selfish experience of making it that I I don't spend too much time thinking about how other people process it, but I'm very thankful for it when they do say that it brings positivity and light to their day. That's Um, great. That's great. But then again, I'm painting no over and over again. (laughs) So I don't, you know, I'm still trying to figure everything out. Well, and hopefully, I mean, someone once said, Oh, I saw these women in their, I'm four, I'm almost 47 in a few days. And uh-huh. so I said, Oh, I saw these women in their forties and they hadn't figured things out. And I thought, I don't want to be that when I'm in my, 40s. Oh my God. 
Oh my You're God. never going to completely <laughs> figure things out. If I figure things out, I'm going to give up because like that. Right. Is You're dead. Yeah. <laughs> You're dead. Or you've reached enlightenment and just burst into flames or something. Right. <laughs> you know, we have to have something to live for. Exactly. Exactly. It's the messy that makes it so interesting. It's the complicated yeah. history. It's the mystery that makes things interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know. Like, half of what I'm doing, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea. Right. <laughs> it's just, I, sometimes it's like the work just even makes itself, too. And that is the tricky part, honestly, of doing interviews. Is like, yeah. you're an artist and you're making art. And then I'm asking you all these questions about mm -hmm. it. And some of it is like, well, I don't know. I'm just making my art. And yet you are sharing some things like that are really important, like that are very valuable, I feel. And, and it's just a conversation around your perspective on life and how you see things. And I think that's, I just think it's important and that it's fascinating. Thanks. <laughs> you know, it's, it's been difficult for me to step away from the feeling that my life and my process is not interesting because you know it's my everyday like it to me it's normal and boring and <laughs> it's just my everyday existence and the fact that it may actually be interesting to other people is confusing to me at times <laughs> I totally but we're not all the same you know exactly and other people's lives are incredibly interesting to me exactly like I said it's kind of hard to step back and see that sometimes yeah. which is great to do interviews like this or to be forced to write about my work or you know to reflect to go go back and reflect on where we've come from and what we've done can be quite helpful yeah so speaking of actually speaking of where you've come from how does your family feel now about your work as an artist I think they're really proud I know my mom comes to as many openings as she can and she always ends up crying because she, yeah it's, she's my biggest supporter she's so sweet um and my dad is proud too and he's told me that uh and he tells all his friends about me apparently I hear it from them um, so they're proud yeah and and I feel so thankful for that does your have. dad do any watercolor painting um occasionally occasionally so he's also he's a boat builder and i grew up doing that with him uh building wooden boats and he is getting back into doing that um but occasionally he'll paint it's interesting because i feel like i it's something i need to do as a regular practice to even just stay in shape but he boat cannot building? paint no, no painting. Oh, painting. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't boat build on a daily basis. <laughs> but I mean, like in shape, like I feel like art is like exercise sometimes too. You, you know, you just have to keep doing it or else you'll get out of shape. But he can go years without painting and then just do a fabulous painting. So I wish he painted more. I'm always buying him watercolor books and stuff like that to keep him going. That's beautiful. How, what a great reversal. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. So the last part of this interview is, first, I want to let people know where you can go see all of Liz's work and you can see the 
playful experimental work and you can also see well on instagram you'll see it sounds like the the pieces with no in it but as far <laughs> as just seeing whatever is posted on your website liz people can go to liz tran that's l-i-z-t-r-a-n.com and it really is fabulous so please check it out and then liz what is your where where are you on on instagram what i don't have it in front of me um, Liz Trans Studios. Okay, Liz Trans Studios. So that's great. So then you can see daily updates of what Liz is, is up to. And then I have a gratitude for you before my last question. And I am grateful that you use art in the way that you do. Like it's such a source of strength for you. And I get that you have to do it. I get that it's what keeps you sane and healthy and yet somehow in the midst of all that you went through as a kid in the midst of the trauma and the anxiety you have this sense of knowing like you said you've always identified as an artist and that confidence that has given you the wherewithal to keep making art and to do it not just like so that you're healing yourself, you're staying strong, but that you use art for that to find your way. And then that you're so honest in the sharing of what goes on outside of the making of the art, that you're so willing to share about mental illness, about like feeling about the panic attacks and the anxiety and all of that that you have dealt with and also being a woman in the art world because i i get that those are tricky things to talk about and yet i do feel like they're some of the most important things to talk about the things that we're challenged by i'm really grateful for your willingness to be so honest about what's going on and thank has, you yeah you're welcome i'm grateful for you being grateful <laughs> <laughs> well thank you and doing these interviews Thank you. And then my last question to you is, is just why do you feel it's important for people like your father, for example, or anyone to, if they feel that pull inside of them to make their thing? Because you can't deny a piece, like an integral piece of your, of your being, if that is what it's meant to be. You have to live your truth. That's basically what it comes down to. Yeah. That is. Well, thank you so much, Liz. Thank you. I'm Daphne Cohn, and you've been listening to the Creativity Habit Podcast. For more conversation with brave and experimental artists, head on over to thecreativityhabit.com. You can follow the Creativity Habit on Instagram, and you can support the podcasts and the artists on it by going to iTunes Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. The more reviews, the more people know about all these incredible artists and makers doing such incredible work in the world. So thank you for taking a couple minutes of your time to share your thoughts over at iTunes and then join me next week for another Creativity Habit podcast. Thank you for listening.